0: Thank you for listening to the Alan Wright Sermons Podcast. I'm his son, Matthew, and we have been splitting up the sermons every other week at our house church that my wife and I host on our farm. If you're interested in joining us, check out WrightFarmHouseChurch.com. Enjoy today's lesson. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 9, says, Now, New Testament letters always—they always address a certain situation or a certain context, and there's a point. There's always this this point being made when an apostle writes a letter to a church or to an individual. Sometimes he is concerned with something that's being taught in the church, or uh, something might be blatantly immoral that he's addressing, and these are things that are being. There are things that are being done in that church that need to be stopped or that they need to be changed. And sometimes apostles write these New Testament letters to deal with a problem in the spirit, in the spirit of the group to which they are writing to. And it's not something that's terrible that's going on, but it is is more that things are not just exactly as they should be. Um, People are not thinking um, and are treating one another as they should. And that's what this passage is. It's a passage that doesn't have some terrible immorality or or terrible false teaching at its heart. It's a passage that shows us what a Christian should be doing in terms of his lifestyle. What Paul describes here is what we'll call today, we'll call this the quiet life, which is what Christians should aspire to. It's an aspiration that applies to us today today. Uh, as it applied to to them in that time as well. So the first thing that we're going to, the first thing here is that Paul tells them to aspire to live quietly. He says that in verse 11 back here. He says that the context here is that in first Thessalonians is probably the earliest canonical letter from Paul that we have. It's it's the earliest canonical letter that we have from Paul and Christianity is spreading into other parts of the world, like Macedonia here, where these people lived, and it was greeted with all kinds of speculation and questions by the larger Greek world. Um, who are these people? What are Christians? You know what? What does that mean? Um, and there were a lot of awful rumors that went out went around about Christians. Some said that Christians were cannibals who ate human flesh. So some said Christians would engage in these awful promiscuous rites, um, so it became important, especially in a town like Thessalonica, where there had already been some persecution, for people to represent Christianity well. They needed to be the kind of Christians that other people around them would be able to learn about the faith from, so that they were they were not advancing those awful rumors. About, about being a Christian. <clears throat> and so there were some very basic questions people would ask about Christianity. Um, does Christianity make slaves rebel against their masters? When people become a Christian, does that mean the wife no longer has to submit to her husband? When somebody becomes a Christian, does that mean that they begin to revolt against Caesar? When somebody becomes a Christian, uh, what kind of life do they live? And this is the reason that Paul says here to aspire to live quietly. Let them know that just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're going to cause all kinds of problems. You're not going to turn the world upside down in the way these people were thinking of, right? Christian lifestyle should show the world we are not troublemakers in the way the worldly are troublemakers, that we are a quiet people, the the wording here is it is, is interesting to me he says aspire to live quietly and aspire is is used in the same sense that we use the word today um what's your goal in life what's your ambition One scholar paraphrased it and wrote it down as saying make it your ambition to to have no ambition Have you quoted that before um I can't remember who it was, but make it your ambition to have no ambition. That's the quiet life to which Christians are called. That is your great ambition. Um, but I still have a little trouble getting my my mind around what exactly uh, that he means when he says to live quietly. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 1, he says, First of all, Paul says... To, Here, first of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. So here you have some synonyms of peaceful and quiet life. We're going to be at peace and we're going to make peace. We're not troublemakers, godly and dignified in every way. Our faith is sincere and we live in a way that is honorable. If people want to try to criticize who Christians are, they won't be able to, is what he's saying. Paul says that's the kind of life that we need to pray for our government to allow us to live that we can live that quiet and peaceful life, godly and dignified in every way. And when we use the phrase the quiet life, and when Paul says to aspire to live quietly, we're not talking about retirement. We're not talking about city life versus country life, you know. We're not talking about just not having much to do. The idea of living quietly means I'm not a threat to other people. That doesn't mean that I'm not going to cause trouble. For someone by teaching them the truth about Jesus, which may change their life, may transform their life. Um, I think we've learned in recent years that the truth of the gospel is the most offensive thing that the world could ever hear. And we don't have, we don't, we don't need to purposefully stoke the fire to be even more offensive. Jesus is the most offensive truth the unbeliever will ever hear. Um, but I'm, I'm not going to go out of my way to be difficult, to be a difficult person. Uh, I'm going to live the quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. And in Second Thessalonians chapter 3, backing up a chapter from our first scripture, it says in verse 12, now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Do their work quietly. Don't cause a problem. Don't complain. Just do your job. A quiet and industrious worker. That's what a Christian is. But we need to seize on something here really quick. The word quiet, it often means, it often means the word, sorry, this is a tough sentence for me. The word quiet often means not just not causing trouble. (laughs) The word quiet also is used in the sense of contentment, something that that happens in the Bible, right? Psalms chapter uh, 131 verse 2 says, But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. Isn't that peaceful? Isn't that nice? The The idea is that I don't have anything else that I need. I am quiet because there's no complaining to be done. In first uh, in 1 Peter chapter 3, speaking of the Christian wife, in verse 4, he says, But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. The, the idea is that she has, she is what she needs to be. She is content. Aspire to live quietly has that same idea. I'm content with what I have. I'm not always seeking something more. I mean, I have a lot, but I have what I need because I have Christ. And that's the idea of the quiet life for a Christian. So so the question is, is it wrong to have ambition? Mom and I were discussing this on the front porch. This to seek something else. Is it wrong for us to want to make a difference in the world? We live in a world and a culture that constantly pushes us from a very young age, to follow your dreams, um, dream big, change the world, and make a difference. And These are the messages that our children receive. These are the message, messages that we grow up with in, in Western civilization. And it can be very easy for us to say that I can't be happy or that uh, that I don't have any worth if I don't change the world, if I don't make a difference and I don't dream big and I, and I don't achieve all of my dreams. And it becomes a challenge for... A Christian should just live a quiet and content life. So is ambition wrong? When we are ambitious, we do achieve things, right? I have goals for my life. Um, I want to I run my own coffee roasting business. I want to run long Spartan mud races again, maybe someday. I want to throw a Frisbee as far as April. <laughs> but I know I can't. Um, you know, I... I want to increase maybe my farm livestock. There's there's these goals. I have goals like that and and goals for who I want to be. And there's nothing wrong with setting goals and and then trying to achieve them. There's a certain amount, actually, of contentment in achieving a goal. Um, But we need to understand this. Most of the time when we're ambitious about something, it's about me. It, It very rarely is our ambition about God. Very rarely are our goals about God. Um, There was a group of people who set out with this phrase, let us make a name for ourselves, in Genesis chapter 11. It was the men who began to build the Tower of Babel, and it didn't end well. The ultimate question of ambition is, can I be content even if I don't achieve all of my dreams? Ambitions, all of my goals, can I still be happy? Sometimes Christian, Christians will ponder at the end of my life, did I accomplish everything I wanted to? But shouldn't Christians be seeking to ask, am I ready for eternity? Um, because that's the question that matters. That's the question that we aspire to. Aspire to live quietly and be content with what you have. There's more There's more to this life than just, just aspirations. If you heard this phrase, I said this today to one of our children, Mind your own business. It was you, Michael. I said, mind your own business. And I did it all on purpose because I knew that this was going to be one of my points. But not the same thing. You said, mind your own business. I, know. I said, yeah. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 in our original scripture in chapter 4 in verse 11, he says, to aspire to live quietly and and mind your own affairs. But I like the New King James Version. It takes us back to the good old schoolyard. And he says, mind your own business, bub. Without the book, New King New King James here. He says that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, bub. Yeah, that's actually in the Bible, right? Mind your own beeswax, Michael, as we used to say, still do sometimes. So this is about Christians understanding personal responsibility. You and I have things that we must take care. Take care of these things that that nobody else can take care of for us. Uh, So much of the New Testament is focused on this idea that we help each other. That we take care of each other. There's mutual love. There's benevolence. I want to help you. I want to bear your burdens. But this is a balance of all those passages. The balance is, that is all true. But nobody is going to mind your business the way you should. Take care of your own affairs. This text particularly applies to what Dad was about, to, to what the Bible calls busybodies. We talked about this last week, right? This is the people who are always busy in other people's business and not taking care of their own business. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 11. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. They're not taking care of their own things. They are busybodies. They are seeking an opportunity to gossip and meddle with. And criticize. They're not taking care of their own work because they're so busy in everybody else's business. And that is who Paul is talking about when he says, "Mind your own business." He says the same thing about widows in First Timothy. He talks about widows who are going to be put on a list to have continual, excuse me, continual benevolent support. In verse in chapter five, starting in verse eleven, he says, "But refuse." to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. The problem is with younger widows uh, who don't don't have enough to do. What they end up doing is not taking care of any of their own business, but trying to be in everybody else's. And Paul says that's not right. He says instead they need to work. They need to marry. And they need to bear children and take care of their houses. They, they need to mind their own business. And, and this is not saying that the New Testament teaches us to ignore other people altogether. It's not what it's saying. We know better than that. Um, it's reminding us that when I don't mind my own business, it affects other people. When I don't take care of my stuff, eventually it spills over onto you. If I'm more concerned about Bart's kids and and how he's raising them than I am about mine, it hurts both of us. If I'm I'm more concerned about your spiritual state than I am about mine, it hurts both of us. Um, If I'm more concerned about how you manage your money and whether you're on budget than about whether I am, It hurts. it's going to hurt both of us. <clears throat> and when I don't take care of my own, my own business, guess, guess who gets to help clean up the problem? You do. Minding my own business is ultimately a concern for you. Ultimately, minding my own business is looking out for my fellow Christians around me. Um, There's a reason that Paul writes in in Galatians 6, "Bear, bear one another's burdens, and then each one shall bear his own load. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. We do bear burdens, but ultimately there are things that are my responsibility and not yours. I need to take care of those things, not you. And that's the quiet life, minding my business and focusing on you only after I've taken care of what's mine, what God has placed in my charge, like my family, that comes first. That's my business. The Bible teaches us to reach out and to be willing to help. It does not teach that we look around to try to find somebody to talk about and judge and criticize and, and tell them how we, we know how they could be doing it better. Right? That's not the spirit of the quiet life. Work with your hands," he says. First Timothy chapter four, again, and or not again. First Timothy chapter four, verse eleven, and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you. Work with your hands. In the Greek world uh, at this time, there was a strong aversion to manual labor. They thought very little of manual labor, but Christians did not. Christians were willing to work. Um, this is this is powerful because work also keeps me busy right i I don't end up with a busy body problem that we just talked about when i get to the end of my day uh, i'm not looking around for somebody else to to criticize and talk about uh instead i get to the end of my day and, and i'm tired because i've been working and that's healthy this is how god made us to live Work with your own hands. Have you ever noticed that just playing and playing and playing is kind of unfulfilling? It's it's good to have some refreshing recreational time. It's good to have some vacation and some downtime. Uh, but there comes a point where where we need to do something and work with our hands. Um, and this is how Christians take care of ourselves and, and take care of, of others. He says, work with your hands as we instructed you. That means that... This is not the first time Paul has told them this. It was a problem in Thessalonica. When Paul came to Thessalonica, he taught them about it. Uh, in fact, he mentions it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 9, he says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil we worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Paul is thinking about them. And if he just preached and focused on the preaching, they would have to support him. So he goes to work. Because he loves them too much to make them support him. He also knew that they were going to have problems remembering that they needed to work. So so Paul gives them an example and he instructs them in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. But by the time we get to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, they still don't get it. They are still struggling to live the kind of life that Paul is, is trying to get them to live. So here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, starting in verse 6. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Paul is talking about people who refuse to work. Someone who refuses to work is different from someone who has a hard time finding work or someone who is injured. It's not a matter of opportunity or ability. It's, it's a matter of willingness, and they won't do it. They won't provide for their own. So these people just relied on their brothers to provide for them, and they refuse to work, and Paul says that's not right. In verse 10, if, if anyone is, is not willing to work, let him not eat. The idea here is that if if they're not willing to work, quit feeding them, quit supporting them, quit enabling them. They need to work with their own hands and mind their business and make their own living. They need to work with quietness. Christians are workers. That's the quiet life to which Jesus has called us. Paul speaks about this in Colossians chapter 3 when he talks to slaves. He says that our work ethic and our work habits show our genuineness and sincerity as followers of Jesus. Starting in verse 22 of chapter 3. Bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Christians who were slaves were intended to view their service to their master as service to Christ. You can tell a lot about somebody by the way that they work. You can tell whether they're honest, dependable, trustworthy. You can tell whether they have an allegiance to a higher power that would know when they cheat, even when the boss isn't looking, right? What kind of testimony are we leaving by the way that we work? If Paul encouraged this for slaves who didn't receive payment for what they were doing, how much more is that true for for those of us who work for money? Work heartily as to the as to the Lord, knowing that your reward comes from him. Jesus is concerned about the way others view us. And one of the ways that we show that, that we belong to him is by working with our hands diligently. When I do that work for myself, I am not a burden to you, but I can, I can also actually be a blessing to you. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. We put away stealing and we work with our own hands so that we have something to give and to share. And that's the model of the Christian life. I can work to provide for those who can't provide for themselves. Aspire to live quietly, mind your own business, and work with your hands. And I see this in all of you. Hardworking people right here who, who aren't complainers, who do the work, who try their best and are content with what they have, with what we have. And that's awesome and it impresses me. But let's drive home the biblical priorities we see in these scriptures and really let them sink in. Let's teach our children and our local community of these values as well. Some of this is challenging, especially if we, have, we were to have a difficult talk with a capable person who just refused to work. And wanted us to feed them. Those questions come up, and they're hard. But if we are in Scripture, we'll know how to deal with these things. I want to make sure, very quickly, that I am clear about my first point on aspiring to live quietly. And this is what I was talking about in our try to kind of keep this in mind about what uh, the history of government, right? And from our Bible project video, Paul is speaking in in a particular context here that we discussed earlier, but if the last couple of years have taught us anything, it is that evil exists and it is not hiding anymore. And if we are to stand up for Jesus, we will eventually raise a ruckus, as we'd say up here on the mountain, no matter how hard we try to aspire to live quietly. Okay? One of the biggest stink raisers in Christianity, if not the biggest was Paul himself, the very writer of this letter. He was notorious for causing some of the loudest outcries. Just read through Acts. It's crazy. These loud outcries of disagreement among the people, and he did it over and over again. But you'll notice he never tried to be offensive just because he liked to raise a stink. He was offensive because he calmly spoke about the word word of God. We do not have to try and be offensive to the world. The gospel of Jesus Christ is offensive enough without us trying to add to it, right? It will cause roaring outpries that will shock you when your day comes to stand up to the demonic people around you. When Paul says to aspire to live a quiet life, he's not giving us an excuse to be cowards. Christians are described as soldiers and soldiers are violent and combative and vicious about what they fight for. I can say that because I was a soldier and I'm going to say a very Apache thing right now that you won't hear from most pulpits. Dad's tried it and it's been tough. (laughs) He's had some people talk to him about when truth comes out in this vicious of a way we talked last week. I talked about Apache pilots and how they're crazy. And I can say that because I was one of them. If a person came into my home to harm my little girl or or my wife or my strong boys, I would kill them and it would affect me none. I'm not joking. In fact, I I might be smiling in the front yard with their head at my feet when the cops showed up. You don't mess with my family, right? Is that biblical? You bet it is. God has given me a charge of protecting my family and raising my children in the Lord. I will speak out loud about my my vicious opposition to the murder of unborn children and to the governments who celebrate it, governments who celebrate degenerate homosexuality and genital mutilation and denial that a man and a woman is all that there is. And will that cause a stink? You better believe it will. Is it godly and is it biblical? You better believe it is. But I do not need to go out of my way to try and be offensive just for offensiveness sake. Does that make sense? The gospel is offensive enough. Jesus is the only way. He's the only truth and he's the only life. And that is considered hate speech today. So if that's considered hate speech, we have got to keep saying it (laughs) because it's the truth. Aspiring to live quietly is not a permission from Paul to be a coward but it is something that we should certainly seek out and to pray for as we continue to mind our own business and work hard with our own hands. Thank you for listening to the Allen Wright Sermons podcast. We hope you'll join us next time. God bless you and have a wonderful week.